0: And full throttle is half the fun. Where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at OCOcean.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because,
1: this is an historic time.
0: This could be the next 1918 pandemic. Why is it taking so long to get a screening test?
1: Are you isolating yourself? Who do you count on? It's actually to protect you. Wash hands, wash hands, wash hands. I mean, you're the scientist, you're going to have to tell me. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to Science Rules Coronavirus Edition. I'm your host, Bill Nye. And this is our special series in which we bring you the latest analysis and the science of this pandemic so that you can be informed, prepared, and calm. We are all in this together, my friends. As of this weekend, more than 850,000 people have been diagnosed with COVID-19, with nearly 50,000 deaths in the United States alone. But this disease, like other diseases, is not hitting everyone equally. Demographic data show that African Americans and Hispanic Americans are at higher risk for death due to COVID-19. The CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, recently reported that African Americans account for a third, 33% of the people who've been hospitalized with coronavirus infections, even though they represent only 13% of the total population. So what are some of the factors that are contributing to this disproportionate effect? And how and why are some people, I mean certain populations, more at risk? Well, to address some of these issues, today we have Dr. Lisa Cooper. She's a physician and a Bloomberg Distinguished Professor of Equity in Health and Healthcare at Johns Hopkins Medicine. She is an expert on the impact of race, ethnicity, and gender on the patient-doctor relationship and other health disparities. Welcome, welcome to Science Rules, Dr. Cooper. May I call you Lisa? Of course. Cool, Uh, thank you. So what's going on? Uh, Why are African-Americans so vulnerable to COVID-19? Right, well, you've probably heard
2: a lot of talk about the fact that African-Americans are at greater risk for a lot of chronic conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, kidney disease, lung disease, you know, a lot of the conditions that um, are predisposing people to contract COVID and also to do worse when they get it. But you probably haven't heard as much about why they might be at increased risk for those chronic conditions in the first place and a lot of the other things that might put them at risk for
1: uh, contracting COVID. My sense is you will tell us all about it. I will. (laughs) So uh, go for it. Go for it. Well, I
2: mean, you know, we could think about a lot of these different factors as occurring on multiple levels. You know, if we start with policy, you could think about historical factors related to policy, things like redlining are uh, related to neighborhoods and housing conditions that led to racial segregation and that led to, you know, differences in the amount of resources that are available in different neighborhoods.
1: Like whether or not, whether or not you can get fresh food, whether or not you're downwind of the undesirable smokestack and uh, then how close together everybody is forced to live. Absolutely. Those are aspects of the physical environment.
2: And then we also have the social environment. So if you are in a neighborhood where there's a lot of stress and tension or there's discrimination, you're also going to be experiencing stress to each of the environment. And that's like the social environment, right? Yeah. And then you think about things like the quality of schools that might be part of uh The neighborhood that you're in. If you go to a school that doesn't have all the kinds of books and teachers and resources that you need, a school
1: nurse, a school nurse. Absolutely. Even something
2: like that, you know, that could help you stay healthy, help you get the best education, and set you up to have a great job when you're out of school. So it starts all the way from there. And then it goes into things like uh, family structure, you know. How many people live within your home? You know, are you in a, in a family where there's multiple generations living in?
1: <laughs> you know, we're all quarantined. Yeah. And I know many of us are now living with family members that we might not be living with otherwise. And that could create stress. Yeah. It can also expose
2: people who are older to um, a lot of younger people or people who might be out working and coming back and forth home and make those older people at greater risk for getting exposed to the COVID infection. And,
1: and by tradition, the people uh, who live in these at-risk communities are what are nowadays are the essential workers, people in service jobs, right? People who work at the checkout, at the grocery stores, letter carriers, postal workers in general, anybody who delivers anything, anybody who has to process goods to be delivered, all those people are traditionally from these lower-income uh, communities, right? You know, a
2: lot of people had to keep going to work, even when everyone else was being told to stay at home. There were some people who were considered essential. So they had to get out there, and if they didn't have a car, they had to get on the subway or the bus, and they got exposed to a lot of other people. And so this is these are all the factors that contribute to this increased risk. So it's not only about, you know, whether people – behave the right way or whether they made the right choices. What were the opportunities they had to make the right choice?
1: Uh, So just listening to what we've talked about are sort of big ideas. Um, How much money you make, where you live, where you're compelled, where your ancestors, your family lives, who lives with you from your family, Um, whether or not there's a lot of crimes in your neighborhood, which makes for a stressful environment. Those are, those are, big ideas is there anything new or worse or creepier with yeah. covid-19 than you would have with uh, b- the regular the regular uh, this year's flu for example yeah
2: no i mean i think that what makes this particularly difficult is that this is an infection that's easily transmitted from one person to the other it's completely new no one in the population has any immunity to it and there's a an old adage that says, you know, when America catches a cold, African-Americans get pneumonia. And that this is what happens when there is a huge calamity or a pandemic, the people who are most vulnerable on a regular day
1: do worse, much worse than everybody else. It's, this is just amplification of stuff that's already been there. Right. This has been a problem that's
2: been there for a long time. And this is just basically bringing it to the surface
1: and really amplifying it. We'll be back right after this.
0: This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com.
2: Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22
0: turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S A U C O N Y.com.
1: Okay, so here we are. People talk about when's there going to be a vaccine? When's there going to be a vaccine? It's going to be a year and a half, two years, five years. This weekend, what drugs can I take that, um, that uh, will offset this in sort of magical thinking fashion? Is there anything we can do in this sort of one-year, six-month, 18-month kind of time frame that uh, we should all be aware of?
2: Definitely. I mean, we've been hearing about some of those things, and I know it's frustrating for a lot of people, but we really have to find ways to um, maintain some of this social distancing that uh, causes a slowdown in the spread of the infection so that we don't overwhelm the health care system. So
1: you're talking about service people, make sure, like I got to deal with my letter carriers, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: leave it on the table. And here's a paperweight if you need, if you're concerned about this stuff being, uh, it's a table outside, concerned okay. about this stuff being blown away. Uh no.
2: We have to get creative, but I think for people who are from vulnerable groups like ethnic minorities and people who are low income, we really have to start thinking about making it easier for them to do what's right. So, you know, if we say that you need to have uh, maintain a safe distance away from family members then we need to provide housing for people, we need to provide a dormitory or a hotel that will give people the space where they can go and quarantine themselves and not have to be worried about what they're going to do with their family members. You know, we have to do things like make sure they don't have to go out and get food every couple of days, because not everybody can afford to stock up on two to three weeks of groceries. So we've got to make it where um, food delivery to people who can't normally pay for food delivery becomes available, you know, where it's where we make food um, available through food pantries, expanding SNAP
1: benefits, things like that. So, you know, is have- there is there anybody doing this right now? Is there anybody we can look to uh, for leadership on this or follow this example kind of thing?
2: Sure, I think a lot of, of governors are providing leadership and bringing together the private sector and the public sector to work on these kinds of strategies and programs. So, I think. You know, if there are people in certain neighborhoods, low-income neighborhoods, in predominantly minority neighborhoods are who already provide some of these services, provide additional funding and support to these organizations. Help them do a better job of delivering food to people who need, need food delivered to them. You know, work with landlords and put a moratorium on, on evictions for people and um, prevent the utility companies from shutting off people's utilities so they don't have a safe place to
1: stay, you know. Um, so, so how would you do that? You're a you're a voter. You're a taxpayer. Do you recommend us having people call our local utility and say, "Hey, man, how can I help?" Uh, you know, I know uh, on, on a lot of utilities, uh, gas companies, electric companies, there's a box you can check to support people who can't make, who are having trouble can't make regular payments. This is a lot to think about. So many people are out of work right now and really can't afford to, you know,
2: pay their bills. Those of us who can, I mean, on an individual level, it's nice if we could say, pay for the groceries of the person who's behind you or, um, you know, offer to pay a little bit more on your bills so other people don't have to. But I think you can also support the lawmakers who are supporting those policies. You know, that's the other thing. I think a lot of people forget that, you know, if we pay attention to what they support and um, support policymakers and leaders who actually will, you know, provide some of these services to
1: the most vulnerable in our communities, not only for their sake, but for your own sake, because... Because the service people are going to put you at risk if they are infected, just for example. When they get sick, we all get sick. So you guys call your representatives, write the letters, do that. You wanted people. What can I do about this about this outbreak? How, Bill? What can I do? What action can I take to help? So call your legislators, uh, write the letters or your emails wherever the however the legislator receives input from you. Fill out your census. Absolutely. Let the let us distribute our resources uh, effectively. Now, by the way, you know, we, I started this thing lumping the at-risk people together, uh, African-Americans, Latino-Americans, people living in, uh, in poverty. Mm-hmm. Is there any difference between race, your community, and poverty writ large? I mean, are there th- predictions you can make and is there a way we can address or uh, direct our resources more effectively based on the, what I'm going to call those three things. Yes.
2: Well, you know, I think that there are some commonalities uh, across those groups. I think there there are some shared experiences and characteristics that make it important for us to look at. You know, what what are the the things that are similar across these groups? but we ought to be really trying to unpack what the contributing factors are in each situation. So if it's in a particular state and it's that, it's because African Americans in that state are more highly represented among essential workers, then maybe we ought to be looking more at what the policies are to protect workers, you know, making sure they have paid sick leave and making sure they have access to health insurance and that, um, you know, that people have to wear masks when they go into those institutions where those people are working. So things like that. Whereas in another place, it might be more related to things like people not having access to food or not having access to clean water, you know? So I think we have to try to unpack the unique contributors, but there are some basic things that I think we know are a problem across the board for those groups. And a lot of it is related to things like housing and food and, um, you know, uh, transportation
1: and healthcare. So what is it what have you worked on specifically? What's been your your firsthand or your area of expertise specifically?
2: Right. Well, initially I focused a lot on how doctors and patients spoke to each other because I'm a physician myself and you know, what I was noticing when I was, you know, in my training, I would notice that patients who were poor and those who were ethnic minorities uh, oftentimes didn't get recommended the same things that people had, who had more education, more money, and who were white were offered. And so I focused a lot on the dynamic between the doctors and nurses and the patients. And I did a lot of work explaining, like, basically unpacking why the communication was different in those groups what we found is that white physicians um, tended to have more of an implicit bias favoring whites over blacks than did black physicians. Black physicians tended to have more of a neutral sort
1: of, you know. Um, well, that seems that's kind of what I would expect with. I yeah. mean, I got to say, but you but you proved it.
2: But yeah, but regardless of the race of the provider, we found that if you had that implicit bias favoring whites over blacks, that you tended to dominate the conversation more when you were, um, when you were
1: seeing black patients. So is this yes, true it, of both male doctors and female doctors? It was. It was, although a little bit, slightly to a lower degree, among female doctors. You've outlined the problem. I got the problem. And your experience with proving that the problem is a real problem. Yeah. Do you have any proposals for solutions
2: Well, so one of them was one one solution we tried was to just to get physicians to kind of be what we call more patient-centered. So instead of spending a lot of time asking people about their disease or their medications, shift to spending a little bit more time talking about people as people. Like ask them about their family more and about their work and about their feelings and things like that. So we did do a program like that where we focused on teaching physicians how to be more patient-centered, and then we also combined that with a program where we had um, minority patients to work with a community health worker who would actually help them to be more assertive and to be to ask more questions when they went into their medical visits. And we combined those two things together. And we found that when you combine a physician program with a patient program like that, um, physician communication skills, patient activation,
1: that we, it actually led to improved communication It is in everybody's best interest to take care of everybody. So let me ask you this, doctor, Dr. Cooper. If you were queen of the forest, what would you do? I mean, these are huge social problems that have been around for centuries, that have just been built in for centuries. If you were queen of the forest... Is there something or a few things you want us to work on?
2: Uh, Yeah, there are so many things we could work on, but I think the first thing we could start on is just by making um, our health a priority in this country, like actually putting our money where our mouth is. If we say that health is is one of our most important things, the health of our people, then we should be putting... Investing in not just waiting for people to get sick and then spending all this money on them after the fact, but we should be investing more in trying to keep people healthy, you know, so more in public health, you know, and um, in education and the things that actually will help to keep people healthy, you know, so we should really be thinking about how everything is connected to health, you know, you cannot get a job, you can't keep a job if you're not healthy. You
1: can't learn in school if you're not healthy. And if you're a mean-spirited hater person, Mm -hmm. people who aren't healthy can't pay taxes to make your life better. Okay, just look at it that way.
2: And it's costing more money to everybody. You're going to have to pay more taxes if you wait till everybody gets sick and then you have to pay for it after the fact.
1: Plus, you might get sick more. Yeah, like, what about that? We're all in this together. Like, let's say there was a global pandemic that could infect anybody, no matter uh, what their ethnic background or financial situation. Right. This has just been cool. Thank yeah. you, Dr. Cooper. You are on the front lines working this problem. Man, oh, man. So we, everybody, we got to do everything all at once. Contact your representative, your legislator, your county commissioner, your senator, your representative in, that, in the National Congress and remind them how important it is to take care of everybody, to direct our intellect and treasure to working on this pandemic for the betterment of everyone. I love your idea of paying the groceries for the person behind you in line. That's cool. And when you're in line to get groceries, wear a mask. And if you have the resources to provide masks to people you don't know, do that. Masking for a friend, as we say. Thank you, thank you so much, Dr. Cooper. Uh, Dr. Lisa Cooper is a physician and a professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins Medicine in Baltimore, where she studies the impact of race, ethnicity, and gender on the patient-physician relationship. So join the conversation. Leave a voicemail about your experience with this pandemic. The number again is 201 That's 201 I'm Bill Nye. And my friends, this is a pandemic. We are all in this together. And more than ever, Science Rules. If you like Science Rules, and I hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out. It helps other people learn about the show so that we can get more listeners and engage more people during this crisis. Thank you so much. Science Rules Coronavirus Edition is a production of Witness Docs from Stitcher. The show is produced by Stephanie Kariuki, Dan Bloom, and Corey S. Powell. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. Our engineer is once again Luz Fleming, who also mixed this episode. Peter Clowney is our executive producer. Special thanks to Casey Hallford. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer at Stitcher. And at Stitcher, everyone, science rules. One more thing. What's really those three things? Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your hands.